<laughs> it's a beautiful day in our neighborhood, isn't it? Hey, did you guys see that documentary? Did you see it was that? It was awesome. Fred Rogers was something else. You know, they gave him the Lifetime Achievement Award in Los Angeles, and uh, he kind of flipped the audience on his, its head. Instead of thanking the people who got him here, he asked the audience to be thankful themselves. He uh, asked them to take 10 seconds. He said, would you take 10 seconds uh, with me and just think about the people who have helped you become who you are? We used to say that in LA, you know, you gotta dig deep to hit shallow, but... <laughs> In that moment, he took L.A. deep, and you could just see the cameras. Um, there's there's uh, Mr. Rogers looking at his watch, counting off 10 seconds, and then panning the audience, and uh, mascara starting to run, heads bowed, tears that are flowing, because in that moment, the room begins to fill with grandmothers, with teachers, coaches, sponsors, housekeepers, counselors, people who sat in waiting rooms, who worked three jobs, who took the call in the middle of the night. The room filled with neighbors. Well, this is that moment for us. We've been doing this UPC for over 111 years and doing it very, very well. It's time to think about the people who have helped us become who we are and about the people that we will become for others, the people over the next 111 years and the people next door. For the last eight weeks, we've been thinking about the prophet Jeremiah and the question, how do we embrace our status as faithful exiles? How do we become builders? A people who build people, people who build a people in Jesus Christ. Today, we begin a new series that will lead us right up to Easter, six weeks of Lent, and we're calling it Next Door, Joining Jesus in His Mission to reconcile all people. Over these next six weeks, we're gonna talk about where we're headed as a church, praying, as the Apostle Paul did, for an open door to another 111 years of ministry, and thinking about how we can be there for other people, uh, for the people who live next door. The obvious place to begin is in the beginning, so let's take out our Bibles and uh, because for 111 years, there's been one primary person who has helped us more than any other become who we are, and that is, of course, Jesus Christ. Let's turn to John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, which is on page 862. Just take a minute to think about him, about Jesus. If you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read John 1, 14 through 18. Standing for us is an expression of gratitude for this great uh, person. Let's read aloud together. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. 
Eugene Peterson translated verse 14, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Would you just think with me about that uh, for a moment? This is a remarkable claim. I think I can put it up on the screen here. You see this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. John is saying there was this person, John calls him the, the word or the logos, this is the term that Greeks used when they wanted to talk about the meaning of it all. John calls this person the Son of God, the only Son of God. This person is God, and he was God from the beginning. The meaning of it all. And John is saying, we wouldn't be who we are without this person. He doesn't just mean believers, he means anybody. He means anything. He is the light of life, he tells us. Nothing comes into being without him, which means he's not just the meaning of it all. At some point, he also became the maker of it all. You wouldn't be who you are without him. You couldn't be. You're his idea. Your life is his creation. And he's the one, the only one, who knows the meaning of your life. But John is also saying, uh, we didn't know this person. No, God knows us, but, we, uh, but God is unknown by us, unknown to us. No one, he writes, has ever seen God. We don't know God. We've got all kinds of guesses, one or many, near or far, angry or kind, real or not. Lots of guesses, but we just didn't know until God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. By which he means this person, in the most bizarre and decisive of all acts, became a human being, broke into the time and space continuum and became a human being, moved into our human nature. He wasn't a human being. He was the meaning of it all and the maker of it all. But now, in the first century, in a tiny sheep town, the person became a human being, just like us. And now we can know God. Humans can know God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. That's, that's verse 18. Think about that for a minute. C.S. Lewis said that if Hamlet the character, were ever to meet Shakespeare, the playwright, it would have to be Shakespeare's doing. Shakespeare is the creator of Hamlet's world, of course, of, of Hamlet himself. Shakespeare is his maker and meaning. If Hamlet were ever to know anything at all about Shakespeare, Shakespeare himself would have to make it known to him uh, inside the story. But with this person, Jesus, God has done even more than that He's written himself into the story. Why? Well, John tells us. John tells us his motive and his plan, and it's grace. Verse 16 says, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. God knows that even if we know who God is, even if all of our questions were answered, we are incapable of living up to our own standards, let alone his standard. But this person has done something so spectacular because grace means he's also the reconciler of it all. The reconciler of it all. 
By the way, when we say reconciler, what we mean is to overcome what disconnects us. And God overcomes not only our own ignorance, our own ambivalence, but also our own sin and also death. Grace upon grace. How? How does this person overcome what disconnects us? Well, by becoming flesh, by moving into our humanity. Not just humanity, but our fallen humanity, our sinful, broken, rebellious humanity. This word comes into that by taking it through death and judgment and back to God. He overcomes what disconnects us. This is why John says Jesus is close to the Father's heart. This is a picture of deep connection. Father's heart is, literally means chest. It's this picture of a parent who has grabbed a hold of a child and pulled the child into the parent's chest. It's a, it's a place of value, of pride, and of intimacy. You see, the Son of God comes from the Father's heart without humanity, and he goes back to the Father's heart with humanity, with you and me, if you, if you will say yes to Jesus, now reconciled to God, now fully embraced in the chest of God. You see, Jesus is God for us, but Jesus is also humanity for God, giving God the love he deserves, the worship he deserves, the response and faith and obedience he deserves. Jesus is the one person who could do this. I couldn't. You couldn't, a prophet or a guru couldn't, but he can, and the good news is, he did. The meaning of it all, who became the maker of it all, also decided to be the reconciler of it all. To overcome what disconnects us, to connect us to God, to connect us to ourselves, to connect us to one another, to connect us to the purpose of our lives, to connect us to his mission to connect all people, grace upon grace. And this is what John is saying here in the gospel when he says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So, if after 111 years, we wanted to pause and think about what has made UPC awesome, there is one person and only one person who should first come to mind, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah, Pastor Aaron gets all the good amens. I mean, you can do a little bit better than that, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one person who has made us what we are today. Amen? Yeah. There we go. We're working on it. He's the one. He's the one. And if there is anything at all that's going to make us even remotely important in the future, get ready for it, it's going to be him. Amen. There we go. Full stop. Jesus. And may I remind you what the Bible says about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So before we step through any metaphorical door to a new future, I'm going to ask you to deal with him. Do we believe we need reconciliation? Yeah. With God and with one another? Have we said yes to him? Are we still saying yes to him? 
Do we believe there's nothing more important in a world that is dangerously disconnected than saying yes to him? Do we believe there's nothing better we can do for someone than to help them say yes to him? Brothers and sisters, our future depends on our response to him. Because, and follow me here, I'm gonna take a little bit of a turn, this isn't just what God did in the past, this is what God does. This is who God is. God moved into the neighborhood, but God is moving into the neighborhood. He's moving today. And he invites us to join him. Let me tell you about Skylar, not his real name. I'm hanging out with a group of guys, and Skylar is there, the center of the attention. He's a great guy. Uh, life of the party type, super smart, super outdoorsman, super successful professionally. So I ask him a question about a personal problem I'm having related to his field, and he catches me by surprise. He says this, George, if you save my soul, I'll fix that problem for you. I made some lame joke, which I'm really good at, and moved on, <laughs> but I couldn't stop thinking about that. Save my soul. Do you ever wish you could go back and have a conversation again and be ready this time? <laughs> that was the moment, like, what was Skyler telling me? He knows I'm a Christian. I know he's not a church guy. Was he teasing me? Was he baiting me? Or was this an open door? What does it mean to him that he has a soul? What would it mean to Skyler to find the reconciler of it all, to be connected to the meaning of it all? I remember reading an article in the New York Times just two weeks ago titled, Wealthy, Successful, and Miserable. Maybe you saw this article. In it, a Harvard MBA making $1.2 million a year said this, I feel like I'm wasting my life. When I die, is anyone gonna care? I made an extra percentage point of return. If you spend, he says, 12 hours a day doing work you hate, at some point, it doesn't matter what your paycheck says, my work feels totally meaningless. Close quote. Meaningless. Here's one more thing about Skyler. He lives next door, more or less. He's in my neighborhood. For the last nearly two years, we've been on a journey here at UPC. Together, we've been in the process of discernment. Our sense is that Jesus has a fresh vision for our church, and we've been asking him to make that vision clearer. And there are really two reasons for this. The first is the world around us is changing. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. We talked about this some in our last series. Changes in technology and culture are driving change in virtually every sector of society. News, music, books, just think about it for a second. Television, retail, education, healthcare, dot, 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 and organizations have to respond. I told you that church attendance now is at historic lows in our country and dropping fast. According to the real estate tracker Coastal Group, conversions are up, but not the kind we want. Conversions of church buildings into condos, restaurants, theaters, and bars tripled between 2010 and 2015, tripled in five years. So as the world changes around us, we want to know, so what's our plan? But to me, the second reason for a fresh vision is even more compelling, and that's 
In the word, words of one of our elders, there's something happening here. And this is just a sense. There's something happening here. This is just a sense that God is doing something in our midst, in our worship, in kindred, in our students and families, in our small groups across the city, in our lives. There's something happening here. Maybe you've had a sense of that yourself. There's a sense that we're standing at a door, that Jesus is knocking, and that we're ready to open it. So we've been listening. Last year, as the elders engaged our congregation through focus groups, a massive survey, you remember that, we formed committees. Uh, we've prayed, we've read books, we've formed committees. Um, praise God. <laughs> what we're sharing this Lent uh, is not a finished product. I hope you understand that. We haven't got all the answers. We don't have even a plan at this point. But we're on a journey, and this is the moment our elders wanted to bring you in on the conversation and share the direction that we think we're headed so that you can pray with us and dream with us. And we're, frankly, pretty doggone excited. So for the next six weeks, we'll be talking about our new vision, about the next door for UPC. Next week, I'll share with you our brand new mission statement at least, and at least one of our values. But let me just say in brief, here's what's not changing, okay? Please hear this, that we are all about Jesus. That's not gonna change. Uh, biblical theology, that we sit under the text. Uh, being a church for thoughtful people. Uh, being a great family from the oldest to the youngest. Mission, students, members in ministry. This is not going to change. <laughs> this is not about changing who we've been. It's about becoming even more of who we are in a changing world. It's about a fresh adventure with Jesus. And if I could summarize the, the change, I, I'd put it this way. I'd say that it's a shift in the center of gravity from this church campus to the neighborhoods of Seattle. Yeah, the center of gravity is moving to our neighborhoods. We're moving. We're joining Jesus. We're gonna put less stress on getting people to church and more on living as church in our city. In other words, we're recognizing God is moving into our neighborhoods, and we're gonna join him. If you think about it, you could see this coming. Just think of our recent pastors over the last half century. Uh, Bob Munger came to UPC in 1962 with a sermon called, My Heart Christ's Home. Any of you, did any of you hear that sermon? Maybe some of you actually heard that sermon, yeah. It started with a door. Uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. And in Dr. Munger's sermon, it was this invitation to see our lives as a house, to let Jesus be at home in our house, 1962. And in 1980, Bruce Larson came. And Bruce taught us how to live as a family in that house. He called it relational theology. He had us climbing up the stairs to the second level and encouraging one another as balcony people, 1980. And then Earl Palmer came back in 1991 and Earl taught us about the owner of the house. He gave us a deep appreciation for the gospel, the good news that shapes our lives inside of the house. And he shared a poem about the house. I know a house that takes me in to send me out. Do you remember that? I know a house that takes me in to send me out. 
So with Bob, Jesus opened the door to the house. With Bruce, he gathered the family in the house. With Earl, he made himself more deeply known in the house. And now we move out of that house into the neighborhood. Now that family joins that owner, walks through that door, and goes next door. Do you see it? This isn't entirely new. We exist because someone moved into the neighborhood for us. This began in 1907 in this neighborhood, just up 17th Avenue, where Ravenna is now, in a house. A couple dozen people crammed into a house in this neighborhood. Why? Because 10 years earlier, in 1896, the state moved its premier university from downtown into this neighborhood. And so these folks sat in that house and they said, the university is moving, God is moving, let's move into this neighborhood and join Jesus. And they did. By the way, I can't resist telling you that just a few years later, our second pastor, Norm Harrison, moved into the neighborhood too, and he visited uh, 1,500 houses in 18 months by bicycle. Praise God. So you know, <laughs> God was obviously moving into the neighborhood. And you know what? There's a Skyler in your neighborhood too, isn't there? So can we do Mr. Rogers for just a minute? Instead of thinking about the people who helped us become, Let's think about the people we will help become. Let's think about our neighborhoods. What's your neighborhood? Hmm? What's your personal neighborhood? Uh, for Mr. Rogers, it was Mr. McFeely, Lady Aberlin, Officer Clemens, Handyman Nagri, do you remember? And then, of course, it was Prince Tuesday, Daniel the Tiger, Don Quixote, and of course, you and, and me. But his real neighborhood uh, was children, wasn't it? Children. Because that was his calling. God called him to connect with children and to connect children. And so he moved with so much creativity and energy and grace into that neighborhood. And millions, millions have been touched. By the way, when we say neighborhood, what we mean is people with a natural connection. A neighborhood is people with a natural connection. It's people. So you probably live in actually several neighborhoods. If you think about it, it might be people where you live or study, people where you work or play. Your primary neighborhood might be people like you, or they might be people God is calling you to. Uh, but either way, they're your people, your people. So here's your homework assignment. I want to give you homework uh, this week, and it's to identify your primary neighborhood. People with a natural connection, your people. It might be Ballard, it might be Rainier Valley, it might be med medical residents, it might be mothers with preschoolers. What's yours? Okay, figure it out this week. I'm serious, figure it out this week. Um, ask Jesus, uh, think about it, talk about it, maybe with your small group, pray about it, and then let's come back next week knowing what it is, ready to share with each other, okay? So but I want to do the Mr. Rogers thing and give you at least 10 seconds right now just to begin that conversation with Jesus, to begin thinking about your primary neighborhood. So would you bow your head for a moment and just ask Jesus to help you hear his call to your primary neighborhood.
Jesus will continue this conversation with you. Brothers and sisters, on the night of his arrest, Jesus himself was praying, the reconciler of it all. And he said, Father, as you are in me and as I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Seems to me in that prayer, in that moment, he put a door on God's heart and opened it wide. Seems to me he was saying, Father, whatever this beautiful mystery has been between the two of us, the eternal love, the intimacy, the laughter of heaven, the family, Father, can we invite them in a door? And then after the resurrection, just before taking our humanity back to his Father's heart, he found his followers behind a closed door, a locked door, hiding. He breathed his Holy Spirit on them, and he said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And I'm sure what he meant was, it's time to move into the neighborhood. It's time for you to open that silly door, break it down if that's what you have to do, and go next door. Let's pray. Father, we don't feel ready. I imagine the Son of God didn't feel ready either. But this is not something we have to do on our own. So we pause here at the end of this message to invite you to join us as we join you. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you accompany us? Would you give us company with one another as we move into our neighborhoods and do more than we can ask or imagine. Eye has not seen nor ear has not heard what you are getting ready to do in our city. And in advance, by faith, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.